This is I'm Not From Here with Josh on Sin Nation. Yeah, hey, hello, that's right. You're listening to I'm Not From Here. My name is Josh. Thank you very much for joining me this evening for the very first Not From Here show. This show is all about being a fish out of water. I've just moved to Melbourne not long ago from a small town about three hours south of Perth called Bustleton to do this radio stuff and to experience everything that Melbourne has to offer. I love my footy, my comedy nights and my music, so I'm keen as to dive in and really get my teeth into this city. If you're a Melbourneian, I want to teach you more about your city from my outsider's perspective. And if you're a country kid like me, I want to show you the city from my point of view, a person like you. Tonight, though, it's going to be a bit different. I was meant to start this show last week, but unfortunately I had to make a snap decision to head back home to attend a mate's funeral. So tonight, I'm going to be talking about those unexpected events that can arise when you're living away from home and how best to deal with them. I'll be speaking to psychologist Dr David Ferraro about that a bit later. I'm also going to compare Western Australia and Victoria's beaches and see who's got the best. And of course, I'm going to be playing some awesome homegrown and international tunes from the likes of Arcade Fire, Bon Iver and San Cisco. Kicking us off now though, we have Violent Soho. This is Sarah Mona Said and you're listening to I'm Not From Here on Sin Nation. Out of Mansfield in Queensland, that was Violent Soho with Sarah Mona Said and just then, Fake Empire from the National. Not ready for you yet, San Francisco, you're later. My name's Josh, this is I'm Not From Here, holy dollies, this is all happening, a show where I experience everything Melbourne has to offer from my freshly emigrated West Australian point of view. Now, I've always been a staunchly proud West Australian, convinced that we have the best weather, the best people... The best everything. The best beaches especially. But uh, when when I've come over here to Melbourne, I'm constantly having to reassess just how WA stacks up, especially compared to Victoria. So that's why I thought it'd be fun to compare WA and Victoria at one of their most fiercely debated topics, the beaches. So while I was home in WA last week, I thought I'd check out my local Bustledon foreshore beach and then compare it to St Kilda Beach on the east coast. So here's part one of the Battle of the Beaches. This is the Bustledon foreshore. Saturday the 16th of April, it's Record Store Day, and I'm here to set the record straight on who has the best beaches, Western Australia or Victoria. I'm sitting on a limestone wall looking over the Indian Ocean here on the Bustledon foreshore. It's 24 degrees, I'm wearing shorts and a shirt. It's beautiful weather, people are outside enjoying the beach. There's kids running around, playing around in the water, there's people fishing. There's a skate park behind me, there are people skating, they're skating on skateboards, rollerblades, razor scooters, you name it. People are getting into it. I can see, uh, I'll be honest, a bloody long wooden jetty. The longest freestanding wooden jetty in the southern hemisphere. It extends about two kilometres out to sea. I'm about to go on it, I'm about to ride a train right to the very end. I'm on the little red Bustledon jetty train, travelling up the 1.8 k's from the beach to the end of the jetty. I can see a lot of people waving, a lot of people walking along the jetty. People a lot more fit than me, to be honest. People have chosen to walk rather than ride the train. A lot of people posing for selfies. It's still school holidays here, so there's a lot of kids around waving, talking to people. It's all happening. 
I'm 1,841 metres out to sea at the moment. I'm at the end of the bustle and jetty. A yacht just sailed past me. That's how far out I am. Full of rich people. Sounds about right. That doesn't take away, though, from the fact that I believe that the west side beaches are far better, are far nicer than the eastern states beaches. I'm very sorry to tell that to the Melbourne listeners, but it's just the way it is. I've decided to walk the almost two k's back from the end of the jetty back to the beach. I'm very unfit and I think I need the exercise. Plus, I really want to take in as much of this gorgeous coastline as I can. hard for me to be unbiased. Uh, I do love the beach a lot and you can check out some pictures I took while I was there too on our Facebook page which is I'm not from here FM also Twitter and Instagram the same the same thing there it is. Uh, coming up after this I visit St Kilda Beach and see if I can compare t- see if St Kilda Beach can compare to the glory of the Bustleton foreshore. That's after this one though. This is San Cisco with Beach. Gosh, I planned that well, didn't I? Better than the rest of the show. That's West Australia's own San Cisco with Beach. And we're talking beaches at the moment here on I'm Not From Here. Two in particular, the Bustledon Foreshore and St Kilda Beach here in Victoria. I was pretty smitten with my hometown's beach, jetty and the cool train. So St Kilda's got a lot to live up to. It's got to bring a day game, to be honest. This was me yesterday down at St Kilda Beach. It is the 20th of April. It's just about to hit one o'clock. I'm sitting on the Esplanade at St Kilda Beach. It's real different to what it is back home. There's a lot of grass leading right up to the water, pretty much. There's a bit of a promenade you can walk along. There's a lot of people walking and cycling at the moment. Seem to be having a fairly good time. There's actually quite a few people here, considering it's lunchtime on a weekday. One of the main differences I noticed straight away here is that the sand is a yellow colour, whereas at home it's definitely much more of a pure kind of a white. I guess the yellow colour might be easy for kids drawing sand when they're drawing about their holidays to the beach when they get back to school, but I don't know, I think I prefer the soft white stuff to this hard yellow stuff. Also, just looking around St Kilda Beach, I've just noticed that behind me there is Luna Park, which I thought was in Sydney. Maybe there's two, maybe there's more than two. I don't know, but that's pretty exciting for me because I've never been to Luna Park and I really want to scope it out, although I have heard there's not heaps to check out. I've been here for about 10 minutes now and I'll be honest, there's not heaps to do. I'm a little bit bored. I guess, I don't know, I guess I could hop in the water and play around like that, but it's Melbourne, it's pretty cold, and other than the water, there's not heaps else to do that I can see. What I do like though is that I got here by public transport, we can't do that at home. I'll be honest, I've been here for a while now. I'm bored as... I'm going to go ask some people why they love St Kilda Beach. Yeah, I love the beach, man. I love just being around here. It's pretty sick. The sun, the water, the sands. I love seeing all the uh, people tanning. I just wish I could be as dark as them. 
I like the boats. The water. Like, it just makes me feel so refreshed and, and special. Well, because of the salt, like, you float, so you just, like, you feel really good. I just love the atmosphere of people being able to do what they want um, on, like, a public location. It's just being around random people, having a fun time, swimming, just having, like, a communal, just wonderful day. I just like the food. Love it. That was me down at St Kilda Beach yesterday, Arvo, and look, it was fine. It seemed like everyone was enjoying themselves, but for me, I'm going to have to award the inaugural WA versus Victoria Battle of the Beaches trophy to my hometown of Bustleton, Western Australia. I just feel like there's a bit more to do there. You can go fishing off the jetty, jump off into the water, ride the train, visit the underwater observatory... And you can't really go past the sun setting over the water. That's that's real hard to beat. If you're from Victoria, though, please don't hate me and stick around because I've got some more great music coming up, including something from Arcade Fire. Now, though, this is Vampire Weekend with Yahei. That's Vampire Weekend with Yahei. You're listening to I'm Not From Here. My name's Josh. Thanks heaps for joining me this evening. The next thing I want to talk about deals with some some pretty heavy stuff in regards to losing friends and dealing with that when you're geographically removed from the situation. So if that's something you'd rather not hear about, that's totally fine. There's always great stuff on Sin 90.7. Maybe that maybe check that out for the next half hour or so. But I'm not going to go into any details or anything like that. I just thought I'd make you aware of that right off the bat. Okay, so as I was... I was supposed to kick this show off last week, but I couldn't because I had to fly home to WA to attend the funeral of one of my best mate's younger brother who passed away unexpectedly in a car incident. Now, this show is going to be all about moving to the other side of the country, uh, experiencing new things. But when this happened, I thought I should I should really speak about it because these are the things you you don't plan for or even think about at all. But uh, these situations can arise and it can put you in a tough position. You obviously want to be able to be there and support your friends and family who are grieving and want to be able to do whatever you can to help those who are more directly involved. And also it can go the other way. You could be having a hard time dealing with the situation and need your friends and family to support you as well. I sat down earlier today with Melbourne psychologist Dr David Ferraro to find out some ways of dealing with this situation when you're geographically far removed. I'll let Dr. Ferraro introduce himself. My name is David Ferraro. I'm a clinical psychologist and also a psychoanalyst. So I practice a particular kind of psychology, if you like. Uh, I've been in private practice since 2010. I work in Kensington in Melbourne. I work with a very wide range of people and I'm also uh, involved in a psychoanalytic group called the Lacan Circle of Melbourne. I knew that Dr. Ferraro was involved with psychology, but I wasn't clear on what a psychoanalyst was. I asked him to explain. Basically, psychoanalysis was a uh, method for treating psychological problems and also studying the mind in general that was initiated by Sigmund Freud. He's fairly well known and uh, a controversial figure in history. Since Freud, many people have taken up the idea that this is a good method for trying to deal with certain kinds of problems, particularly problems which involve subjectivity or the unconscious. Freud's basic idea was that people have a part of themselves which he called the unconscious over which they have no direct control but which can nevertheless influence uh, all sorts of things in their life and particularly their personal problems. Psychologists have always interested me but to be honest I've never really understood what exactly their role is. 
I asked Dr. Ferraro to explain what he considers his role to be. People come to me with a very wide range of things that they want assistance with. My role is to basically try to help them figure out for themselves how best to solve the problems of their life. So rather than giving people generic hints and tips to try to deal with their problems, try to learn uh, about how the problems have been put together, how they've been constituted basically, and thereby what might be sustaining these problems and what might be done to undo them or get around them. This is putting it in very general terms because I see a wide range of people, but that's the essence of it, to try to help people learn what it is that impels them and to see if they can find ways of living life which might be less destructive than whatever it is they're doing now. I asked Dr. Ferraro what the main kind of issues and experiences the people who see him have. It's as varied as uh, you could possibly imagine, but I often see people with very serious problems. So probably about 50% of the people who see me have some kind of psychotic condition. Of the other 50%, though, uh, everybody's GP referral tend to be depression and anxiety, and these terms are so generically used as to be almost meaningless. They don't really tell us anything about the person who uh, has these labels appended to them. But it could be all sorts of things from uh, relationship problems, sexual problems, problems with work, and in combination, usually some dissatisfaction in life. But it also could be said that uh, the problem that a person feels is their problem may not be... uh, It could be misleading. So a person with a gambling addiction, for instance, may not necessarily want to relinquish their addiction, but they may have a problem with their spouse who uh, very much wants them to get rid of their addiction. So uh, if I could make that distinction, there's uh, what the person themselves sees as a problem and a range of other things behind it. I explained to Dr. Ferraro my situation about losing a mate, but being geographically removed from the situation. I asked if this was a common issue for him to hear about. It's interesting because in Kensington, there are a lot of people here from interstate and also from overseas. Kensington has a relatively large refugee population, so does Flemington as well, particularly people coming from East Africa, but also some other places. But moreover, people come here from interstate. Melbourne has become a bit of a beacon for people all over Australia and from rural Victoria because you can get share housing here. It's pretty close to the city. You've got good transport infrastructure. You know, it's an okay place to live. So I very typically see people who are from someplace other than Melbourne. Now, what happens when someone dies? I mean, we can probably distinguish between two facets, if you like. One, there's the private emotion, which I would call grief for the sake of our discussion. And then there are the public rituals, which I would designate as mourning. Now, I think that wherever you are, if you have somebody that you care about deeply and they die, at one level, they will be lost to you and they'll be lost uh, irreparably forever. But at another level... Uh, If you go through grief, one of the things you realize is that uh, whilst the person is gone, in another sense, they're very much with you. Uh, They are in your thoughts, they are in your feelings in a very intense way. And I think that that is generally the case, uh, irrespective of whether one is in the same city as the person who's died. The one difference, though, is that if you are at some geographical remove from the person who's died, you might have less access to those rituals of mourning, which, in my opinion at least, are very important in trying to come to terms with a loss. Funerals, for instance, may be inaccessible to people who are living in a different city to the person who has died. The way that I see it, funerals are really for the living, not so much for the dead. It's important that people have access to some 
form of public ritual, a public memorialization of the person who has been lost in order to come to terms with their own grief. That's part one of my interview with Dr. David Ferraro about dealing with grief once you're, once you're removed from the situation. Part two will be after this. Let's take a minute now to take a breath. This is Arcade Fire with The Suburbs. I'm Josh. I'm not from here. That's Arcade Fire here on Sin Nation. If you've just joined me, thank you. We're talking about some pretty heavy stuff, though. So it's in regards to losing friends and dealing with that once you're removed from the situation. So if that's something you don't want to hear, that's totally fine. Maybe check out Sin 90.7 instead. This now is part two of my interview with Dr. David Ferraro. I told Dr. Ferraro that I considered myself lucky to have been able to go to the public mourning and attend the funeral back home. I know that others might not have been that lucky, so I asked Dr. Ferraro what happens if he can't make it back for a funeral and if he has any techniques for those who can't make it. It's very difficult. Uh, I don't think you could prescribe a generic technique. I don't think it would work. And in mourning, generally, we can't be too prescriptive. One thing you'll see among different individuals, different cultures and times and places that everybody approaches it with uh, radical different methods for coming to terms with the terrible loss that they've suffered. But all of the different methods seem to have fairly similar ends at mind, being able to, on the one hand, let go of the loved person, but on the other hand, to commemorate them to memorialize them and we shouldn't imagine that in popular culture you know we have this word closure people talk about obtaining closure i think with the most intense losses of our lives the people we love most dearly uh, there's not necessarily ever going to be some kind of perfect closure there might be something that the bereaved person can live with but uh, there may always be a certain agony attached to the loss it's asymptotic if you like one can approach a closure but never finally get there. Now if you cannot have access to the public rituals, if you cannot uh, participate in some form of mourning, that's where people might have to use some creativity and invention to try to put something together for themselves and it's interesting that people do that. People uh, create uh, memorial pages online, people have celebrations that they organize or commemorations and gatherings and things like that. People observe anniversaries of the the deceased person's death or their birthday or what have you. Sometimes people uh, find their own ways to, if not create a grave or a tombstone for the person, if that's impossible, to try to find some other way to make a public memorial out of it. Artwork might be one such way. I should say, on the other hand, if this doesn't happen, people can have very serious problems uh, in their life if somebody they love dies and they can't come to terms with it and when mourning is interrupted um, you know it is often going to be understood by the GP as say depression but often the history of uh, the person suffering can be traced very specifically to a loss. This is a particular pertinence in this neighborhood when it comes to say the refugee population because it's very typical that there are families where individuals have gone missing and there may not be a body to bury, there may not be any story about what actually happened to the person and therefore the mechanisms for mourning may not actually kick in and take place and so uh, in those situations people can have very profound difficulties. This sounded awful to me, especially for people who don't know if their loved ones are still missing or have died. I mean I think as years become decades people 
learn that they're not going to see the person again, but it is still very difficult. And it's not at all uncommon for people of, uh, from Somalia, for instance. Many people were disappeared. To this day in Argentina, the mothers of the disappeared meet on a weekly basis in a square to commemorate their, their lost children. So uh, people do find ways, but it's certainly not easy. Dr. Ferraro and I had spoken about dealing with these issues personally, but I wanted to know how to show my support for the people who were affected directly or indirectly back home. The one general principle that we have in psychoanalysis is to take people and situations one at a time, now to try not to generalize too much. So it depends what the specific situation is. Um, was there something that you had in mind? I explained to Dr. Ferraro my situation about wanting to be there for the family who lost their son and brother and explained how I felt that telling them I was there for them and actually being there seemed like two different things. Yes, if I understand correctly, I mean, it seems as if there's, in a sense, two things going on there. There's the family who may be the most affected and who need to be supported by the people around them, and then there's you yourself who... Uh, you need to give support, but you probably need some for yourself also. There's no perfect way of doing it, but expressing something in words, the written word or the spoken word, I mean, being present with people can be an important thing, just to be physically present with their grief. It's not a matter of solving it for them. There's not going to be a solution to the pain that they're experiencing, but often people who are grieving will think after the fact that it meant a great deal to them, that somebody sat with them during their darkest hours. Finally, I asked Dr. Ferraro about the stress and anxiety that comes to the fore in this kind of situation. I know that he said that it all comes down to the people and situations, but I asked for more general advice. One of the things that uh, is a psychoanalytic idea is that when someone we love dies, uh, things can be complicated because we have uh, some anger towards them, possibly even hatred. Even if ostensibly we love them, we can be pretty upset that uh, they've played this horrible trick on us and left us. I mean, that's in the best case scenario. In other scenarios, our attachments to our loved ones are often much more murky and ambivalent. We may have all sorts of unfinished business and reproaches against them. Some of that can be dealt with in the form of talking therapy, bringing that to the surface, letting it out, giving voice to it. That can be a help. It can help uh, people find a way of coming to terms with the loss rather than just holding on to it and, and letting it fester, which is what seems to happen with some people who don't put it into words. And I think the people who have the most difficulties in mourning generally are the ones who perhaps least communicative, who have ideas about, uh, you know, some men, for instance, have certain ideas about masculinity where pain is something to be born with a stiff upper lip. But uh, if one takes that too literally, too rigidly, without any uh, facility for public expressions of grief, then it may not have a very good effect on the, the person in question. It might mean that they've suffered a great loss which isn't adequately acknowledged or come to terms with. That might be something which causes some problems down the track. That was my chat with Dr. David Ferraro about losing a mate and dealing with that grief when geographically you can't be there. If that was at all triggering for you or upset you in any way, some good people to speak to maybe Beyond Blue on 1300 22 That's 1300 22 Or the Kids Helpline on 1800 1800. That's 1800 My name's Josh. You're listening to Sin Nation. And this is I'm Not From Here. I've got some of the XX coming up soon. But right now, this is Bonnie Ver with Towers. <laughs>
That's an incredible song. That's the XX with Angels here on Sin Nation. And before that, we heard from Bonnie Vare with Towers. My name's Josh, and this is I'm Not From Here, a show about an outsider, me experiencing Melbourne and all it has to offer. Tonight we've heard some great tunes. We've learned that WA has the better beaches than Victoria and spoken to Dr David Ferraro about handling grief when you're removed from this situation. That's just about all the time we have for tonight, but before I go... I just wanted to speak a little bit about Tristan, who was the young man who tragically passed away a couple of weeks ago now, who I've been talking about a bit tonight. Tris was just the nicest, friendliest kid you would have ever met. He had a killer smile and a lovely girlfriend called Missy. There was nothing official in the works, as far as I was aware, but everyone who knew them knew that they were the real deal. Tristan's family are the tightest-knit bunch around and genuinely really lovely people. I'm going to finish the show tonight with with a song by Powderfinger, a live version of These Days, which was recorded in Perth on their final tour. I chose this song because when I think of Tristan and his family, I think of singing this karaoke style on a PlayStation game in the front room of their old house. You're listening to I'm Not From Here. My name's Josh, and I'll be here again from 10 next Thursday night. Thanks so much for joining me, and you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at I'm Not From Here FM. Enjoy the Powderfinger. This one's for you, Trist. <laughs> 